Welcome to Pop Cultural Osmosis. My name is Kyle Diaz. And I'm Ryan Harrington. We have a very special guest with us today. You want to introduce yourself, Madeline? I'm Madeline Frischella. Oh, wait, that was kind of awkward. Maybe we should redo that. Yeah, you, said, you already said my name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way to ruin it, Kyle. Okay, so, good night, everybody. <laughs> introducing me. So. Oops. You can feel free to introduce yourself. Okay. Or I okay. can just pop in right after Ryan. You, you want to just pop in right after everyone. Ryan? <laughs> we should just, like, be talking and normally about the podcast and then madeline just starts talking oh my god this is a disaster guys we have to start over again (laughs) (laughs) welcome to pop culture osmosis my name is kyle diaz and i'm ryan harrington and we have a very special guest star with us today madeline frischella hello madeline hi how's it going (laughs) Good. I'm sorry, that was a little, hey, brother. So, but it- <laughs> so this is your third time on the podcast, is that true? Second. A second. For some reason, I remember you being in the very early days, but I think you no. were just one of the very first people to uh She's very vocal about. Yeah, like we have this... Um, I may have been the person to say, you should have guest stars and I, have me on. Uh, after episode two, we have a little note from you on Tumblr that says, you should have guests like me. So, yeah, I think there you... There we go. I think, to be fair, I think we may have talked about this it's the first time you were on here, but like really. one of our original concepts for this podcast was called Single Serving Friend. God, Ryan, I'm so glad we didn't do that. That would have been way too hard. That would have been way too hard. Like... I I really 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 love having guests on this show. I think it adds like a really great thing into our dynamic, but it's also like super difficult to schedule. And we've accidentally set up a podcast that you have to do a lot of homework for. Mm. Yeah, we kind of did. So if you were gonna, yeah, if we yeah. wanted to have, a you're st- telling me, <laughs> Madeline, like, I had to watch like ten hours worth of stuff for this stupid show. <laughs> I do more work for this podcast than I think it did for school. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, if we had to have a different guest every single time, like, no episodes that we could just record on the spur of the moment, it would be it'd be pretty tough. Okay, so, um, our favorite this week is a favorite summer camp film, and, and we, should, we should maybe put a little note in here, because this episode will be a little different than, uh, than many of our episodes. Um, due to a couple of vacations here, we're recording this episode several weeks before we anticipate it going out, so we needed... Um, some topics that were relatively evergreen. So we're going to be talking about stuff today that you should be able to listen to anytime, regardless of uh, you know what movies are out or what's just aired on TV. So our favorite today's favorite summer camp film. Uh, Madeline, why don't you kick us off? Oh, is it summer? Oh. Is that what? What? Is that uh, what go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Or is it fictional summer fictional camp? Fictional summer camp. Oh, all right. I'm sorry. We'll start that over. It's a favorite fictional summer camp. My favorite fictional summer camp is Camp Firewood. From the film Wet Hot American Summer. Um, cult film came out in 2011. I know I what? saw it. It did not come out in 2011? I meant 2001. <laughs> You're only off by 10 years. <laughs> I obviously meant 2001. Um, I first saw it in high school. A friend introduced me to it. We became obsessed immediately. And I then introduced it to every single person I could possibly. Um, show it to who hadn't already seen it for the rest of my life forever including, uh, including me, I should one... oh yes yeah like i had not seen this uh, or even heard of this film until you showed it to us uh, a couple of years back including oh. several of my bosses have uh, <laughs> seen this movie because of me um and 
In 2011, Jill and I went to a 10th anniversary screening of it, um, which was fun with all of the stars of the film. Um, should I explain what it's about a yeah. little bit? Why don't or, you give, uh, give a little summary and then use that as a jumping sure. off point to talk about what elements you like and don't like. Sure. It is a parody slash homage movie to uh, the 80s summer camp movies uh, starring uh, members of MTV's The State Mm -hmm. um, and Reno 911 um, directed by David Wayne and written by David Wayne and Michael Showalter Um, it has a lot of familiar faces now who were not big stars then including Bradley Cooper Elizabeth Banks um, to an extent, Amy Poehler, uh, Mike Lee in Black, uh, a lot of familiar faces. Uh, Paul Rudd, too. He's about 30 years old, playing 18. Um, <laughs> so I, the, the I did not remember that Bradley is, Cooper's in this movie. That's really oh, bizarre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the plot, if there is one, really, is it's the last day of camp. It all... T- 90% of it takes place in one day at this um, summer camp in Maine. Um, potentially a Jewish summer camp. Um, okay. But it's not really addressed directly. Um, and it's it's a comedy film. It, everything, the summer camp is just a peg for a bunch of different comedy set pieces. And it's really random comedy. I think a lot of it is it kind of ahead of its time with the deadpan humor. Um and almost even absurdist humor. Um, and it also stars, I didn't mention, Janine Garofalo uh, and David Hyde Pierce are sort of the main love interest couple as the camp director and the professor who lives next door, uh, <laughs> respectively. And Michael Showalter is one of the camp counselors and he uh, is the other sort of romantic lead. Um, so there isn't too much of a plot <laughs> but it's really funny it's the kind of movie that you just pick up on uh pick up new things on every time you watch it and, uh, when i just rewatched it i decided to watch it with the commentary for the first time <laughs> uh, which i don't know if i've ever done that before for a movie ever like for I'm any trying movie to think. oh it's one of my favorite i love watching commentaries I don't think I've ever watched an entire movie with the commentary. <laughs> but I learned a lot of very interesting things. And it was a very funny commentary, as you would expect from funny, funny people. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of, one of the, the jokes in the film is that all of the, the camp counselors who are supposed to be these teenagers are played by people in their late 20s and their 30s. Um, and what David Wayne said on the commentary is that there were no teenagers in the film. <laughs> Everyone was either under 14, all of the extras, all the kids, or over 25. <laughs> including Paul Rudd, who was 30, playing a camp counselor. And also a camp counselor who kills four children. <laughs> Which is something that you might not realize when you're watching it at first. It's really funny the way he does it, but he's responsible for the deaths of four children. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's probably my favorite movie of all time. 
it, I'm going to go there. It's kind mm. of legendarily uh, a favorite movie of yours. Like when we were talking about this favorite, Ryan and I, before we brought it on, one of us was like, oh, and Madeline will appreciate the chance to talk about Wet Hot American Summer because <laughs> we just both know that it's like one of your favorite movies. I do think that it's... Um, it it is a really a forerunner to a certain kind of like indie aesthetic that emerged in like the early to mid two um, thousands. It does it better than a lot of the movies that came after it. Like I kind of get like I guess a, a, a an example is like Napoleon Dynamite, which is a movie that I can't really stand, but it has a lot of that same kind of like deadpan humor of of like people acting. Um, just like off and, and the humor of people who act just a little bit off and and I get that same vibe from What Hot American Summer though I think What Hot American Summer is a lot funnier um, I think it's just yeah, interesting no, it, I, I definitely I, I definitely see the correlation it predates that aesthetic and, and kind of maybe was one of the establishers of, of that aesthetic um, and like a lot of those films it was not very well received on its release I think <laughs> no true I really really love Christopher Maloney in this movie too it's that out of all he of the out of all of the casting he's the one that just strikes me as being the weirdest like um oh, he most definitely is the weirdest he's like just this angry like chef right he's like the camp cook yes yeah he might have ptsd it's sort of questionable he gets a lot of very good advice from a can of vegetables who helps him work through it and i see here on wikipedia that h john benjamin plays that can of vegetables oh, yes i did not know when i saw this movie either i have to rewatch this movie he does. He, um, I learned from the commentary, was cast after they had filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he he wasn't really involved in, in the movie till later. Um, and I think it was Janine Garofalo on the commentary saying that she was surprised when Christopher Maloney took this role <laughs> and expected him to play it a lot straighter because none of them had seen him do comedy. Mm-hmm. And he's arguably the funniest part of the entire film. And right. also, at the time, they, they had no budget for this movie. Tiny, tiny budget. They went off to film in Pennsylvania, at a camp in Pennsylvania. They actually lived at the camp. They couldn't, they couldn't afford to put their <laughs> actors up anywhere else. They, all the cast and crew lived at the camp as if they were at summer <laughs> camp. Eating in the cafeteria... And making a movie. Method acting. Oh, yeah. In a sense. Well, this is a... a, I mean, that's a good pick. This is a a weird little movie that everyone should see. And I think out of everyone who sees it, like maybe 60% will wonder why they're watching this movie. And the other 40% like love it with all of their heart. Like, I think that's that's pretty much the breakdown. I would say that, except I think it skews much more heavily for our audience. Mm, that's probably Aside from the fact that I think most of our audience has already seen this movie. I'm just going to go ahead and speak directly to the audience here. If you have not seen Wet Hot American Summer, see it. Spend 90 minutes <laughs> and watch it. And if you don't love it... Yeah, you, your next hour and a half is better spent listening, watching that movie than listening to us talk. <laughs> hey, 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 let's not go too far here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a good movie, but um, we gotta be gotta be careful. You have a lot of opinions about the lake house that they need to hear. We need these ears. <laughs> I want to say we need these eyeballs, like people say on TV, but we don't have people's eyeballs. We need these ear holes. 
Okay, uh, should, should we move on to anything else about what Hot American Summer, uh, Madeline? You want to get out there in the world? It's hard to talk about something you love so much. Yeah, I mean, it's because easy to... what else is there to say? It's easy to quote lines, but even for this film, like, just quoting lines without context or performance, like, actually doesn't even get you much, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ryan, you want to go next? Uh, sure. So... My pick is, as a kid that grew up in the 90s, a very natural choice of Camp Onawana from Nickelodeon's Salute Your Shorts. We hold you in our hearts. <laughs> I think we can all sing that theme song. Um, I never went to summer camp as a kid, um, but I watched a lot of Nickelodeon, and that was basically my dream, which is an idealized version of summer camp. And... Specifically, my favorite episode of Salute Your Shorts is the episode where they're playing Capture the Flag with water balloons, which looks like the most fun thing in the entire world. Everyone is just running through the camp, throwing water balloons at each other. There's, like, trenches dug in the dirt, and they have, like, traps and stuff. Oh, my God. It is so good. (laughs) I remember very specifically one not even episode, but scene of Salute Your Shorts where the campers had I guess snuck out of camp and bought a bunch of cheeseburgers. Yes. And they bring them back and then I don't even remember why, but they had to eat them really fast to get rid of them, to get rid of the evidence that they had snuck out. And so there's just this scene of like these Four or five kids are shoving their faces with hamburgers. And then the one pretty girl's like, oh, I can't do it. It's too fattening. And they're like, eat it. <laughs> I remember, I think I think it's the same episode. Um, They, like, sneak out and they go to buy it. And they have, like, all of this change. Except it was in one guy's pocket, which had a hole in it. So he was just leaking the change all out as they walked all the way to the fast food place. And I think... um. The one camp counselor that worked there, Ugg, you see him like, oh, look, there's a quarter. Oh, look, there's a dime. Picking up all the change on the way. They're like, oh, no, Ugg is going to catch us. <laughs> like, a, like a Hansel and Gretel style, like picking him up as, they, as he follows him through town. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, man, what a good show. And again, there's one camp counselor for all of those idiot kids running around. Can I make a confession? That you didn't watch it as a kid? I have this big, like, hole in my memory where my memories of Salute Your Shorts should be. I know I must have watched it because I know what it is and because I watched everything else that was on Nickelodeon at that time. But I have no... I can't sing that theme song. I have no memory of any individual episodes or characters or anything. I have no Wait, so, but, so do you know? Do all. you know Hey Dude... I do know Hey Dude, although I don't think I watched a ton of Hey Dude either. Okay, because Hey Dude is still your shorts, except in a crappy desert. <laughs> I don't see how you could know one and not the other. They I, seem almost melded in my mind. Because like all I did was like you turn on Nickelodeon, and it's like salute your shorts and Hey Dude and Adventures back. of Pete and Pete and Are You Afraid of the Dark and Clarissa explains it all and it's just all like. St- all 90s nostalgia, just yeah, in face kids. See, He's doing I, this, like, waving motion with his arms, like it's washing over him. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I just do a lot when recording this podcast, knowing full well that no one will ever see it. <laughs> Listeners need to know. <laughs> Ryan Maybe makes why we need to live stream it, so they can see my ridiculous gestures. Because <laughs> <laughs> I watched, I watched uh, you know, uh, Keenan and Kel was later, but I watched, uh, like, Alex Mack, and oh, I yeah. definitely watched a lot of Clarissa Explains It All. And I watched a lot of, uh, you know, all that, maybe also a little bit later. Um, I even remember a little bit of Pete and Pete, but I don't have any Salute Your Shorts knowledge whatsoever. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, it only ran for two seasons, and I'm pretty sure I didn't watch it, like, when they were first airing, because mm-hmm. it aired in 91 and 92, so I was four. Yeah, well, this was a, this was a Nickelodeon... Uh, but it was a staple in their lineup, basically, until they switched to... Uh, a lot of cartoons, and then they kind of switched back eventually. It, it was a Nickelodeon thing to do in the in the early '90s to have these short shows that they would rerun every couple of years, like on the uh, assumption that the kids who originally watched them would have grown up and were watching other TV. So it was like you know. Oh, and kids also have a kind of a kind short of a short memory, span, and yeah. they'll rewatch the same episode like nine times. Yeah, I've seen certain episodes of like Are You Afraid of the Dark like a million times. So yeah. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I wish I could, uh, I wish I could join in the nostalgic with you guys, but I, I don't remember this show at all. Okay, so so far we've got uh, Madeline's Wet Hot American Summer pick and uh, Salute Your Shorts from Ryan. Ryan, anything else on Salute Your Shorts? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, so actually, my question, Madeline. Yes. You actually go to Camp Firewood? See, that's an interesting question, because my only personal associations with camp are as a counselor. I never went to camp as a kid, and as a counselor, I would totally go to Camp Firewood. So you'd work there. I would. But you don't know if you would actually attend there as a kid. Uh, I don't know. Fair, fair. They do ha- I mean, they clearly have a lot of fun. They play Capture the Flag. Except for they the get to water ski. Oh yeah, I guess the kid who water skied died too. Um, they they have a barbecue. Put on a talent show. They they do put on a talent show. That would be pretty fun. But then again, Susie as the drama counselor, and I know as a kid I would have been in drama. She wouldn't be very fun. <sighs> so answer: I would work at Camp Firewood. Probably wouldn't want to go there. Would you like to go to the camp and uh, sleep your shorts, Ryan? Yes, yes, I would. <laughs> I would also want to go to Camp Anawama. <laughs> so when I was thinking about this, originally I was like, well, I have to pick the movie uh, Space Camp because I have actually been to Space Camp and I liked it a lot. Um, but then I realized that, first of all, it was not fictional and second of all, I haven't seen the movie Space Camp. <laughs> but I understand that it's somewhat different than <laughs> what Space Camp is actually like. <laughs> I want to pick this movie, which I have not seen as my favorite movie. Well, that is technically my favorite camp, but it's not fictional. And also, I don't know anything about the Space Camp movie, so I did not pick that movie. Um, But my uh, pick is actually a film that we talked about uh, the last time Madeline was on the show, weirdly enough, um, which is Camp Ivanhoe from the movie Moonrise Kingdom. Aww. Hmm. I uh, when I was when Madeline when you were on the show a year and a half ago I called myself a not a Wes Anderson fan and I think I'm I have to revise that a little bit because two of his last couple of movies Fantastic Mr. Fox and Moves in Rice Kingdom are like among 
my favorite movies. So maybe I'm just not a fan of very specific uh, Wes Anderson films. So remind me again, which ones have you seen mm, that you see. did not like? Which ones have I seen that I did not like? I did not like uh, Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, or mm, the Darjeeling Limited. And I don't you not like Life Aquatic too. I uh, feel like Royal Tannenbaum's and Life Aquatic. I am both very cool toward. Like I don't mind them, but I don't like them either. Um, but uh, Moonrise Kingdom is a great 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 movie and i think that you know he has this weird kind of deadpan um emotionally kind of raw uh like the dialogue itself is very raw but the way that the characters deliver it is very flat um and that never worked for me coming from his like normal stable of actors um but in moonrise he first of all he brings in a lot of people that he's never worked with before so he brings in you know bruce willis and edward norton and tilda swinton and uh you know, so this is, the acting talent in this movie is just off the tar- charts. Uh, Har- Harvey Keitel shows up like three quarters of the way through. Ever, the kids were perfectly cast. Uh, I loved both of them, and the, just the movie, like it just is. Uh, it's it's got the tone that I think he often shoots for, and like only sometimes hits. It's just this mix of nostalgia and whimsy, and uh, you know, occasional moments of darkness and violence, and um, it looks incredible. The look of Camp Ivanhoe in particular, and the whole island of New Penzance is like just these bright colors popping out everywhere. Um, Edward Norton is perfect as the camp counselor. It's just a, it's just a really great movie, and that is a camp I would definitely like to go to because they look like they have fun, um, like driving motorcycles and building two tall tree houses and stuff like that. So. Um, plus, they apparently have like no supervision whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I remember they were like playing with like gas cans at one point mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. So well, that- Ed Norton's the dreamiest scoutmaster ever. Yeah, I mean he is really weird in that movie. He's like weirdly uh, childlike in his little camp uniform, but he's also just a really sweet dude. Like it, it, it there's a a scene where he's comforting the. Uh, kid after they've just busted him for running away and they've you know they've the bill murray that the parents that are are angry with him and just everybody's just pissed and he just like is trying to make uh the main character sam feel better so he's like that was a, a very well-pitched camp back there it's like that's the only way he knows to to make the kids feel better so it's very sweet and touching um i don't know i just really love this movie i've seen it a couple of times since it came out um, I bought it on the Blu-ray, and it's just uh, it's 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 the best movie I think he's made by a very very wide margin, in my opinion. Interesting. It, it does fit his aesthetic to a T. That's true. It mm-hmm. really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh, the family the the parent child dynamic comes through much better. Yeah, I, I agree. Because <laughs> when it's when is when it's happened with the uh, when it happens with parents or, or I'm sorry with with adults, you're just kind of like, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, to some extent, you just want to tell these people to kind of get over themselves a little bit. But when you know you have these kind of uh, kind of uh, you know disappointment in parents and and uh, uh, children who feel abandoned by their parents and stuff like that, it works much better when it's coming from the actual kids themselves. I think you're right. Um. Yeah. Because, well, yeah. Because as adults, they should kind of realize that their parents are not great, 
But when you're a kid and that realization first kind of sets in, mm-hmm. it can be kind of hard. Mm-hmm. And you have these two great kind of uh, parallel stories where uh, Susie, the girl, um, you know, she's difficult and her parents find her difficult. And you get the sense that they're doing the best they can, but that they know that the best they can, like maybe not not quite good enough for her at the moment, or, or at the very least, they're they're really struggling to uh, to figure out how to be the best parents for her. So you've got that story, and then on the other side, you've got Sam who doesn't have any parents, and he's just kind of like desperately searching around for parental figures all throughout the movie, and like trying to latch on to various. You know, first I think the scoutmaster, and then definitely uh, to Bruce Willis as the captain. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's a very it's a very good parallel story to kind of like set those two characters um, up together and have them bond in that way. Um, and it's also very funny, and um, you know, it feels like an adventure. Okay, so one of the things that we wanted to do with this episode is that um, with our film today, which we'll talk about as as customary at the end of the show, we kind of wanted to bring this whole time travel thing full circle because we're kind of closing out the time travel segment after the, uh, what what is this? Is this eight time travel movies, Ryan? Yes, it'll be our eighth movie. Okay. Um, so one of the things that we wanted to talk about a little bit was time travel on television uh, and kind of, you know, we didn't talk at all about TV in this discussion, even though a bunch of sci-fi shows have used time travel to, to various extents in their in their shows. So we kind of wanted to do just a little roundtable here where we kind of went around and talked a little bit about our favorite and, uh, you know, time travel TV episodes. Um, I have three. How many do you guys have to talk about? And we can kind of figure out how much time we want to devote to each of these guys. I can do three three but i think judging how our conversation is going to go we're going to want more time to talk about movies that didn't make the list Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. i initially budgeted for so we might only want to do two each unless you feel really strongly about all three okay no i don't i definitely don't um ryan why don't you kick us off then um so as i want to do i like to look back at my childhood and my first pick is um, from the Rocky and Bullwinkle series. And actually, it's a recurring segment. Um, what is it called? Uh, it's a recurring segment with uh, a talking dog, Mr. Peabody, and his boy, Sherman. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and so they have their own time machine. And basically, Mr. Peabody, this genius talking uh, dog... Uh, takes his boy his boy Sherman to different uh, historical events, except they're kind of messed up, and so they have to fix them. Like, uh, what happens? Like, one episode, I think, um, well, I guess it's kind of fictional. Robin Hood, like, bumps his head, and he starts stealing from the poor and giving to the rich, and they have to go <laughs> fix it. <laughs> um but it's kind of a, a it's a it's a nice sort of pseudo educational entertainment um and the best part is that these these animated cartoons always set up um like it's basically this whole cartoon each episode is a way to set up a very long uh pun at the end mm-hmm. um which just seems like so ridiculous <laughs> 
That is a fascinating pick. I've only ever seen one episode of the Rocky and Bill Winkle show, but I saw it over and over and over and over because my grandparents owned it on VH- VHS. I so had... I am very familiar with this character, but only in one of these segments that you're talking about, and I can't remember which one it was, like what they end up fixing when they go back in time. Um, oh, yeah, so like uh, there's an episode um, at the end about the surrender of Cornwallis at Yorktown, and so... The joke is Peabody asked Sherman if he was familiar with a historic, a heroic rooster who foiled the plans of and apprehended British loyalists. And when Sherman replies that he doesn't know what he's saying, um, Peabody says, what, Sherman? You've never heard of kitchen, chicken cacciatore? Chicken cacciatore? <laughs> so did, like, a six-year-old Ryan get this, or did he just, like... Was he just confused? Um, I feel like I did get this. I can't really remember, though. But, I mean, it's very obvious that it's supposed to be a joking, because they do it every episode. And some mm-hmm. of them are more obvious than others. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one about Custer running um, a hot dog cart as his last stand. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, just re- I, I had all of the... Rocky and Bullwinkle VHS tapes growing up, so and I watched them all the time. Interesting. If you would have asked me to predict what you would have, uh, what you would have picked, Rocky and Bullwinkle would never in a million years have had made the list. So uh, you you have surprised me, Ryan. <laughs> uh, I, I feel proud because I feel like I can predict at least. Well, not exactly pick yours but i have a general idea of where you're gonna go with your segments yeah yeah um okay do you want to give your other pick or you want should we go around no, and come back let's to go you? around okay madeline uh, what's your first pick um i think i'm gonna talk about two of mine together because they come from the t- same television series yeah okay. that's fine um also from my childhood since let's start with the older ones first um for me not sci-fi show uh boy meets world <laughs> I know exactly what episode you're going to talk about. But do you? <laughs> do you? <laughs> it's, is it the World War II one? That, that's one of them. Mm, that was okay. not the one I was going to start with. Okay. But for a non-sci-fi show, these kids sure time travel a lot. Uh, there are two definitely, arguably three time travel episodes, and it's six, seven seasons. Seven seasons. Seven seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one comes in season three, um, and it's called I Was a Teenage Spy, and Corey, Corey Matthews, time travels um, back to the 1950s, to the time of the Cold War. Um, he uh, It starts in the present. They're learning about Sputnik in school. Uh, there's a faulty uh, wire in the kitchen and he plugs in the microwave and all of a sudden he's in the 1950s. Um, And it's, you know, it's time travel a la Wizard of Oz. He goes back, he knows who he is and all of the other series regulars are playing different characters. Uh, Sean is (laughs) playing Seanzy... Hunterelli. <laughs> Shanzi Hunterelli. Uh, Tupanga's playing a tough chick that goes TL. TL. Um, there are a lot of references to Happy Days. 
and much like Back to the Future, he gives Mr. Feeney a fake name, but in addressing him as Sir, he, he says his name is Brad Pitt, Sir, and is called Mr. Pitzer for the rest of the episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there, there are actually also some uh, actors from Happy Days who show up. Um, it, there's really not a point or a lesson to the episode other than this same tough chick, T.L., uh, falls in love with Corey the way that Topanga in real life, where they're currently broken up, would... <laughs> They're not together, but they should be together, I guess, is the sort of lesson. And to go back to the present, he hits his head against the wall as they're all chanting, spy, spy, spy. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's very Wizard of Oz. Uh, he wakes up. His family's all surrounding him. You were there and you were there. Uh, and in the beginning, uh, his parents are joking about being Boris and Natasha, and then they show up in the fantasy as Boris and Natasha. They tell him he's got to stop living in the past, and then he travels to 1950. Um, And then there's a button at the end of the episode where he's working on his term paper on his enormous laptop, uh, and he needs to go plug it in, and he gets another shock, and... uh, his parents run in, see if he's okay, and he's like, good, nothing happened. But then Mr. Feeney <laughs> teleports in a la Star Trek and uh, says he uh, communicates with the bridge and tells him he's bringing the Earth alien back to the mothership. To beam them up. To beam him up, and, and Corey acquiesces and says, what the hell? Well, he doesn't say that because it's Boy Meets World. He doesn't say hell. But, let's, yeah. But he, let's, let's go. Let's do it. And they teleport out. Um, and there's no other reference <laughs> to this episode in the entire rest of the series. It happens and it's over and it's just a fun... It's all a dream. It's ultimately a fantasy of Corey's. Um, the second time... Boy Meets World has a time travel episode, is an explicit time travel episode, season five, in what was a pan-TGIF Sabrina the Teenage Witch crossover episode. All four episodes that night featured members of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. That's right. I remember this. I remember they made a big deal about this on TGIF. Like, it was, like, Mm -hmm. hyped for weeks. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sabrina, in the first episode, her regular episode, she makes some sort of time ball, and Salem the cat swallows it and becomes the time travel device himself. So in her episode, they go back to the 60s. Then he ends up in Philadelphia with Corey and the crew. When that episode's over, he ends up in the short-lived series You Wish where they go back to the 50s and then he ends up in Teen Angel which also was short-lived and they go to the 70s so two hours of Salem the Cat time traveling time traveling with other members of TJF. yes and so in this episode season 5 called No Guts No Cory um, they all time travel back to the 40s and what's interesting is 
in the first one, it was Corey that time traveled, and he remembered the present, and he knew that he was traveling. But in this episode, it's really only Salem the cat that's time traveling. Mm-hmm. So it just takes the entire cast, shifts them back to World War Two. So they haven't actually time traveled. There's just people who look and act just like them in the past. Yes, that also have their same names. Okay, okay. So the only person who remembers the present is the cat. If that makes sense. And <laughs> I think my favorite part of this episode is the same as the, the last episode. It starts off with they're in school and they're learning about World War II. Uh, Corey and Topanga are having a conversation as they walk out of the classroom. They're standing in the hall. They're talking about Topanga's grandparents who lived through World War II. And Salem the cat just walks right in. And Corey's just like, oh, hey, a cat. And he picks up the strange cat that's walking through their school and is petting it and just continues his conversation with Topanga. (laughs) As if nothing has happened. Just a strange cat walking through the school. Um... And he says, I wonder what it was, wait, I wonder what it was like during World War II, and uh, they travel back. Um, so, it's, it's Salem that's stuck in, in time, and another interesting thing is that they make a sex joke in this episode, which is kind of surprising for Boy Meets World. Um, I don't actually remember what it is but it's there. (laughs) And I wrote down breaks the fourth wall, but I don't remember who breaks the fourth wall. I told you that show breaks the fourth wall. All right. Uh, Well, uh, that is also, I I feel, I feel like I'm going to be so predictable now, Um, but that is also a very good pick. And it it is always strange when uh, time travel stuff pops up on TV shows that are not, it happens more than you would think, like that it shows up on, on shows that are not explicitly sci-fi. And I think it's just because they just get so uh, taken with the narrative possibilities. They're like, you know, we could have a, we could like do all this stuff if we just had a way to do time travel. So let's just have him hit his head or something. Like it just kind of pops in there. Yeah, that, I d- definitely think that. And plus the characters getting to play something else. Mm-hmm. Particularly when you get into long run shows, you know they've been playing characters for so long. It's refreshing to get to do something a little different. They think you know the audiences will appreciate it, and if it's done well, then audiences do. In some cases, like that Bones episode, uh, audiences don't appreciate <laughs> it quite so much. <laughs> um, but I, I think casts and crew enjoy that, and, and they like being able to tell it different story without you know the overall arc of a show being affected mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I think you're really right I, you know um, like Ben Savage he practically like lived in this like one particular sweater if I remember <laughs> correctly like he just, they, had, they had to wear like pretty much exactly the same costumes all the time to um, be fair he wore that sweater when he was in the 50s <laughs> oh yeah but it, it looked it looked much more like it fit in than, than it did. That's true. That's true. Topanga, Topanga got to wear a wig and not have that long hair of hers. Mm. <laughs> um, okay, well, as you guys uh, 
correctly guessed. <laughs> I feel like I feel like for this particular subject, it would be actually like a disservice if I didn't talk about Star Trek a little bit because Star Trek has done all like every like you know aspect of time travel that you can think of. Star Trek has done it. They've done the recurring time loops that people are trapped in. They've done someone get zapped through time and ends up really far in the future. They've done everyone goes back to Earth a long time ago. Like I went and through and counted them, and there are at least. 45 episodes that deal explicitly with time travel in the original series, The Next Generation, DS9, and Voyager alone. And then in wow. Star Trek Enterprise, gigantic portions of the third and fourth seasons are a serialized uh, storyline that deals with the temporal Cold War, which is all about time travel. So there's like a good 60 episodes about time travel in uh, Star wow. Trek's background. So I feel like I'd be remiss not to talk about some star trek episode here somewhere so uh the one that i picked is yesterday's enterprise which is an uh, episode of uh, the next generation um and basically in this episode a, a time rift opens um and the ship comes sailing out of the time rift and as soon as that happens the entire crew of the enterprise like it just kind of flips and all of a sudden they're in uh this different looking enterprise um wharf is gone and he's been replaced by tasha yar who was the security chief who died in the first season. Everyone's wearing sidearms. There's no, like, families on the Enterprise anymore. They've been transported to this, like, you know, parallel universe where the Federation's at war and everyone's all militarized and stuff. And um, as they figure out where this ship is that just came through this rift and, uh, you know, where it came from and stuff like that, they realize that it had played a very pivotal role in history. Um, and... Uh, you know they they uh, they are living in an altered timeline. They kind of realize that they're living in an altered timeline because of it, um, and so then they have to decide. You know, like if we send this ship back, then do we die? Do we go away? Like what happens to us? Like and then, then eventually they do decide to send this ship back through the rift, um, and uh, then they all have to kind of sacrifice themselves. It's very very emotional and, and very stirring. Um, it's a great episode. It's got a lot of great character moments in it. It's like terrifically well acted and well written, um, and it really deals with you know kind of the logical implications of uh, you know an aspect of time travel that I think Ryan, you and I keep running up against in these movies that just drives us bonkers, which is um, you know these characters who end up in altered timelines without any of the memories of having been in that timeline. Um, this one's kind of the opposite where it really grapples with the fact that like if you put time back to the right way that it's supposed to be like you know not only will we die but we'll have vanished as if we never existed and uh you know the the paradoxes that solve so yesterday's enterprise a really 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 great episode of uh star trek the next generation um the uh star trek subreddit keeps a poll of um you know most updated uh, most uh, upvoted episodes, um, you know, those are judged to be basically the favorites of the series. And uh, yesterday's Enterprise is number five, so it's pretty hard, highly regarded by uh, the fan base as well. All right, uh, Ryan, what's your number two pick? Um, my second pick is a series that we have already talked about. Uh, Jill actually talked about it way back when in episode 9 during our favorite animated TV show but it's Futurama and mm-hmm. I specifically want to talk about the episode 
uh, Roswell that ends well. I believe it's in season three. Mm-hmm. Anyways, as you know, Futurama is all about Fry Boy from the year 2000 who time travels all the way to the year 3000. But then this episode specifically, he they, he and the rest of the cast end up going all the way back to uh, Roswell in uh, the 1950s. And they, they're the, uh, the alien spaceship that crash lands there. And it does... Um, a lot of things poking fun at a lot of the tropes in uh, sci-fi um, one of the plot lines is Fry spends the whole time trying to protect his grandfather from dying so he doesn't mess up his own existence and then accidentally kills his grandfather and then sleeps with his grandmother thus becoming his own grandfather <laughs> um, and Prof- Professor Farnsworth has this great line where he's um, Telling them once they enter into the past, like, don't do anything that affects anything. Also, it turns out you were supposed to do it. In which case, for the love of God, don't not do it. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, I mean, it's just it's a, such a funny, convoluted line that, and it re- really reflects um, all of the different time travel episodes or movies that we've seen. They all have their own very specific rules that they have that they hopefully try to follow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and nothing is ever really super consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it, and I Futurama is great because um, I think it uses time, and a lot of episodes uses time travel as a waste to sort of look at uh, our modern day society and make uh, kind of astute social commentary about it. Uh, mm-hmm. And but this episode in particular uh, is just a very good example of uh, looking at how time travel in general is portrayed in pop culture, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it has... Uh, and then Fry being his own grandfather has all sorts of ripple effects way throughout the rest of the series. And oh, that's a- interesting. I, d- I didn't realize that. And actually... Um, there's an episode the next season that plays uh, a big part of that. Beca- a couple episodes, actually. And then it shows... What is it called? There's an episode that where it's revealed, actually, that this episode and um, or this idea had been plotted out all the way since the pilot hmm. that Fry was always destined to go to the year 3000. And it's because of what happened in this episode of him being his own grandfather, which results in him not having the Delta brainwave, which makes him immune to, what are they called? The giant brains? Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, the, like, the dudes who, like, he, only he can see them or something like that. They, like, their goal is to just absorb all information and then destroy existence mm-hmm, mm-hmm. once they know everything. But Fry is immune to their powers because... He's his own grandpa. Oh, interesting. As he says, he did do the past, the nasty and the pasty. <laughs> okay, um, cool. Well, that's Roswell that ends well. Madeline, what's your second or third-ish pick? Um, well, I really saved the best for last, at least within my own picks. Um, the X-Files, I had to talk about. Mm. They have 
they deal with time travel in a few different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, one particularly memorable episode is um, sort of a Groundhog's Day loop, time loop episode um, where Mulder relives a bank heist over and over again. Um, I almost talked about this very episode. But the one that's not the one I want to talk about. <laughs> I, I love Monday. It's so good. Um, the, the episode I wanted to talk about is called Triangle. Uh, it comes in the sixth season, uh, just a few episodes in, and um, right after the, X, the first X-Files movie. Um, uh, it's um, a Monster of the Week episode, so to speak. It, it doesn't really have much to do with the overarching mythology. Um, but if I can gather what happened... <laughs> After rewatching it, because I'm still not 100% sure, um, Mulder goes looking for a ship in the Bermuda Triangle. Supposedly, this ship in 1939 was in the Bermuda Triangle and disappeared. And in 1998, it appears again. He goes looking for it. The opening pre credit scene is just Mulder in the water floating in the water near a broken ship. Um, and he's, after the credits, he's hauled onto this ship. Um, they're British guys talking to each other, and he figures out that he's he's found the ship. He's um, The ship has come forward to 1998, and then it's revealed when he listens to the radio that, no, he has actually gone back to 1939. Um, concurrently, uh, Scully back in uh, D.C. gets approached by uh, the lone gunman trio, and they tell him, or they tell her what's going on, that Mulder went down to Bermuda and he's disappeared. She frantically is uh, running around the FBI building trying to get people to help her uh, track him down. Um, and finally, she gets the information she needs from uh, their buddy Skinner, um, and she heads down to Bermuda and finds the ship. But the ship she finds is empty. Uh, meanwhile, they're showing Mulder in 1939, and there are a lot of familiar faces. Uh, Cancer Man is dressed in a Nazi uniform, speaking German. Scully's there in this, like, gorgeous red dress uh, and, you know, 30s hairstyle. Um, Skinner, Kirch, and Spender are all there. Um, and he's trying to figure out who uh, who Thor's hammer is. There's this code word. He's looking for this guy called Thor's hammer. Turns out he's a scientist who will create the bomb uh, or who has the knowledge to create the atom bomb. And if the Nazis get this ship back to Germany. Time as we know it will change. He needs these people to drive back into the triangle to essentially disappear again. Um, there's some really memorable shots, uh, especially as uh, Mulder and fake Scully in the past are running through the ship at the same time present-day Scully is running through the ship looking for him. Um, and these things are sort of happening concurrently. They show this one really incredible shot where it's split-screened and they're sort of coming toward each other and then go through and end up on the other side of the split-screen. And, and Scully on both sides sort of turns around as if each of them felt 
that they'd walked by each other. Um, so it's a really interesting episode. At the end, uh, Mulder wakes up in the hospital. Scully's told him that, you know, they found him with his broken ship. He, you know, implying that it was really all a fantasy, all a dream. Um, yet right before uh, Mulder jumps off the ship, that's how the device he uses to get back to his present day, he jumps off the ship. Right before he jumps off the ship, he... Um, passionately kisses 1939 Scully and then she punches him in the face. Uh, and when he wakes up in the hospital, he, he has a bruise on his eye and he can still feel where she punched him. So it's sort of inconclusive whether any of this really happened. It was all uh, in Mulder's head. Um, but presumably if present day Scully doesn't remember going to Bermuda and finding that ship and walking around it looking for him, then it probably didn't happen. Um, but, you know, it's another sort of Wizard of Oz type of episode. They make a lot of kind of explicit references to Wizard of Oz. He, you know, he does the whole you were there line, and Skinner says something about his dog Toto, and the boat that he crashes in the beginning is called the Lady Garland, and there are a bunch of there are a bunch of references, but this is, I mean, this was an episode sort of for the fans. Um, oh, yeah. It, you know, getting to see these characters do different things, getting to see Scully look glamorous and having them actually kiss. It's the first time in the series that they kiss, and it's right after the movie where they almost kiss, but they don't. Um, so it's it's really for the fans. I think it was a wasted opportunity not to have Krychek come in and play a Nazi. That would have been perfecto. <laughs> um, but I think the, the best part of this episode is the way it's filmed. And it's truly a beautiful episode written and directed by Chris Carter, who created The X-Files. Um, it's essentially three, sorry, four, four long shots or what, what's supposed to be four long shots um, that are edited together to make it look like, you know, 11 minutes straight of filming. They f following Mulder through the bowels of the ship and following Scully through the FBI building. They apparently shot it in real time, which is kind of insane. Um, that's the only time they ever did that. Uh, and it's really beautiful to watch. Which is, and it's interesting that the, you know they, they film this time travel episode in real time. It's and they play with the time element the whole time. There's no cuts. Everything's happening either concurrently or you know just those eleven minutes that you're watching. So I think it's a great episode. It's definitely one of my favorites. That's and, really fascinating. Uh, I, I'm reading about this in the Wikipedia article. It's like super interesting. I, I don't remember watching this episode, although I have seen many episodes of uh, X Files, but I don't remember this one at all. It stands alone really well. Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, it's a Monster of the Week episode. It's not a. It's not a mythology episode, so it, it's easy to watch and understand the whole thing. Um, whether or not it's time travel is a little questionable, but yeah, it's it's just, it's close enough. Within the story, you know, they they do get the ship to turn back and supposedly save the world from the Nazis. Okay, um, 
And I guess I'll close this out. Um, my uh, second pick is uh, the last episode of the first season of Heroes, uh, which is called uh, How to Stop an Exploding Man. Um, and I, I, it's it's too bad that Heroes got so bad because it kind of really destroyed what was uh, one of the most perfect seasons of television I can remember. And I, I loved Heroes in all through its first season. Um, I think it's... that's I did too. I just think it's really funny that thinking back we tried watching that pilot mm-hmm. when it first aired and we couldn't get through the first half of it and the we gave pilot yeah i don't remember this at all you don't remember it we uh-uh. gave up watching halfway through that pilot we're just like man at this the sucks. end of the year and then um like it hit the mid-season break i was home uh back in california with nothing to do during that winter so i was like oh well i have the rest of uh, the TV episodes for whatever reason on my computer. Mm-hmm. So I watched, I just decided to power through and rewatch them. And then by like, by, by the time I got started the second episode, I was like, no, I'm going to watch the rest of these. And I came back, <laughs> I was like really excited. Like, no, Kyle, right. Ariel. And then we kind of binged like the first like nine or 10 episodes. Yeah. All at once. And then um, we had to wait for the rest of the season to start back up. And every week was brutal. Yeah. yeah I remember the two of you like counting down the minutes till the Canadian aired episode was available for download like an hour before the uh, American one. <laughs> the nice thing about the first season of Heroes is that it does tell a complete story. Like from the first episode to the last episode, like there's a a through plot line. And you know, they pick up on stuff and when they start season two and don't, in my opinion, go very far with it or nowhere near as far as they, they should have. But uh, you can watch the first season and it makes sense on its own um, and so, uh, how to stop an exploding man was a really, really uh, uh, a uh, a satisfying uh, season finale from from that perspective. But it's also satisfying from a time travel perspective because Hiro Nakamura, who has the ability to move through uh, space and time, um, kind of by this episode, maybe in the couple of episodes before this one, uh, really learns how to control his. Uh, his power to to a great extent so there's all kinds of fighting where he's like teleporting around between different things and he's moving backwards and forwards in time and then um at the very end of the episode he gets uh injured and i guess spoiler alert for the last episode of season one of heroes which aired in 2006 or something but um he gets hit and he's like falling unconscious and he kind of just like triggers his own uh his own uh like power and he time travels himself back to like uh like 1500s kyoto in japan um and the last shot of the season is just like him standing up uh and he's on like a plane in like uh you know medieval japan um it's just really it was so exciting and crazy and awesome and i just loved like that i thought it was such a great resolution and then um, raised so many more questions and uh i i I'm, it makes me sad now to think about like how excited i was for uh for season two of heroes to start back up again which is a you know a, a tragedy for a different day but um you know i i really liked that this episode was really when when hero kind of came into his powers so um, I do wonder. I know um, I had read things, um, interviews with Tim Kring, the creator of Heroes, 
way back when, and his original idea was each season would be like a standalone uh, sort of uh, one-shot series, mm-hmm. and each season would focus on a whole new cast of characters. But because of its immense popularity and the likability of, I think especially uh, Masioka playing Hiro Nakamura, and and like, I think Siler, I think oh, Hiro and, I think and Siler right. were the two Zachary breakout Quinto. characters. Yeah, yeah, that they they wanted to. There's a lot of pressure to keep these characters in uh, the se- the show, mm-hmm. and it's very hard when you the whole series is about or the whole season was about them building up and learning how to use these ridiculously powerful abilities that like you kind of have to do a lot of work to undo all of that at the beginning of the next season to sort of mm-hmm. make obstacles for them to overcome again, and it just did not work at all. Yeah, yeah. So this is kind of like the last gasp of Heroes as like a really, really, really great TV show. Um, and it has some really kind of cool time travel stuff that happens there with him kind of asserting his powers and also kind of accidentally ending up, uh, you know, way back in time in, in Japan. So, uh, But there's, there are a lot of good sort of just time travel moments throughout that whole season. Mm-hmm, I agree. I mean, I agree. the whole episode where uh, Peter gets stuck in the dystopian future mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just the all of the uh sort of premonition flash forwards that isaac sees mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. man yeah it's a good season yeah you want to move to movies that didn't make the cut or yeah, let's talk about some time travel movies that uh we easily could have slotted in here but uh we decided not to um I think the first and most obvious one is the 1959 version of H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, which uh, holds the distinction of being the earliest listed time travel movie on Wikipedia. So it's like the origination of time travel in film. And uh, we didn't watch it because we didn't feel Super like it. Old and, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> I vaguely remember reading the book as a kid. Mm-hmm. It's kind of and, a silly book. And even then I was unimpressed with it as like a 12-year-old. Yeah, so that, I mean, I don't think anybody out there is like, man, I really wish these guys would have, uh, you know, talked about H.G. Wells as the time machine. The only- hey, maybe there's some Guy Pierce fans who are hoping you'd do the remake. We talked about doing the remake, but then we were like, no, we're already doing the remake of uh, Planet, Planet of the Apes. For some reason. <laughs> that kind of slotted in there as our, like, old, old and uh, super influential movie right. instead of... Uh, I mean, really, the only appeal, again, to watch... The time machine is because it's the first. Yeah. And that's not that strong of a reason. Yeah. Um, there's a couple movies that I haven't seen um, that I think we could easily have decided to talk about. Um, I'm thinking mostly of 12 Monkeys. Oh, I really want to do 12 Monkeys. I love that movie. Mm. And it's one of the ones that I do regret. Madeline, um, have you seen 12 Monkeys? I have not. The okay. cast is great. It's, it's Bruce Willis, right? Bruce Willis, Brad Pitt is in it. Um,. Who plays what's her face? Um, anyways, it's 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 very uh, surreal. Um, <laughs> he did and he did another time travel movie that we honestly could have done. Time Bandits. Yes. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking about that too. We could easily have done Time Bandits. Um, there are any number of Star Trek films that we could have talked about. <laughs> well, not any number. There are four Star Trek movies that we could have talked about. Um, um, 
let's see. Uh, we got uh, Voyage Home, the one with the whales. Uh, <laughs> First Contact, the one with the Borg. Um, yep. The new Star Trek one. I feel like there's one more. Wait, is there another time travel one? Uh, Maybe there's only three. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Generations. Uh, Kirk also yeah, travels. Generations. Yeah. Um, but we decided not to because I already talked about Star Trek too much. And Ryan probably didn't want to watch these movies. I've seen most of these movies. <laughs> I think you underestimate how much that I've actually watched Star Trek. I don't underestimate. Every how, time. I don't underestimate how much you've watched. I underestimate how much. Maybe I correctly estimate how much you are interested in watching. I mean, I don't dislike Star Trek if I've watched that many Star Trek movies and seen that many episodes. True, true. Anyway, uh, we decided not to watch those because we uh, really just didn't want to talk about Star Trek anymore. I think the only one that I think we could have made a really genuine um, argument for including that I have seen and really love is uh, Minority Report. Oh, sorry. Minority? Oh. Yeah. Which I consider to be a time travel movie because it deals with, like, parallel universes and possible futures and stuff like that even if none of the characters actually travel through time actually madeline you just asked this question like two minutes ago like our premonitions time our premonitions time travel it it applies to minority report and i would say probably yeah um plus minority report is just an amazing movie i love that movie it's good i only saw it once for some reason i always think about that disgusting old sandwich he finds in the fridge that's why. And that creepy guy locks him in the uh, thing with no eyes. Oh. Yeah. Um, one of the other movies I, I kind of regret, regret not having on there is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, <laughs> starring the great Keanu Reeves, which we will get to talk about soon. I've never seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That would have been a good one. It's It's just a comedy film about two high school kids and... Basically, they're failing their history project, and so George Carlin comes and gives them a time-traveling phone booth to go throughout history and collect a bunch of historical figures and make the greatest uh, history presentation known to man. Yeah. Um, oh, one film that I wish we could that I wish we would have th- uh, thought about is one of the strangest films I've ever seen, which is called Time After Time. You guys ever heard of this movie? Yes. Uh, I know the song. Time After Time is a movie about Malcolm McDowell plays H.G. Wells, except he actually invents a time machine. And it's stolen by Jack the Ripper, who uses it to come forward in time to 1970 San Francisco, where he becomes the Zodiac Killer. Yes. It is an amazing movie, actually. Like, it's the plot is bonkers. It is off the wall. But, uh... I I really really like uh I really really like this movie. Um there's a cult film from the 70s called Somewhere in Time starring Christopher Reeves and James Seymour. And it, huh. it it didn't do well when it first came out. It has like a huge cult following. Um and it's it's guess it's more of a romantic drama than a romantic comedy but he is able to time travel through self-hypnosis which is definitely the only time i've seen that in a time travel movie and they have this butterfly effect that's true that's true (laughs) that's sort of the same thing um but this is more of like a predestination 
movie. Um, and it always, I saw it when I was sort of younger and it always stuck with me because in the plot, in the very beginning of the movie, he's, um, Christopher Reeves is a young man. He's approached by this old, like old, old lady. She hands him a pocket watch and she says, come back to me. And she doesn't say anything else and leaves. And years later, he goes to this like hotel and he sees this old photograph of this beautiful Jane Seymour uh, as a young woman. She's gorgeous. He becomes obsessed with her. He finds out who she is and she used to stay at the hotel. And he finds this book on time travel among her old things Hmm. um, and learns how to do self-hypnosis. And he, at first he can't do it, but then he finds an old register in the hotel with his name in it. And mm-hmm. he know he does it because he knows he did it. <laughs> and, and once he gets back there, he gives her the watch and what pulls him out of, I mean, the romance, whatever that mm-hmm. happens, um, what pulls him out back is she tells him that his suit's out of date. She says it's like 15 years out of date. He's like, what are you talking about? This is a great suit. And he like, I don't know why, but he pulls change out of his pocket. And there is a penny from 1976. And he just wakes up in present day. And like, that's pretty much the end. He ends up dying. (laughs) It's like, this, this like time travel is supposed to be physically tolling because Uh. it's all about self-hypnosis and if he's been laying there not like eating or eating just you know in his mind then yeah it it basically killed him i mean they're like brought together in the afterlife a la titanic but yeah that's i mean in the very beginning the old lady gives him the watch and goes home and dies but this watch was always something that i always thought about because it, it was never no one created this watch Oh, you know, no one made this watch. There, there's she's given this watch by a guy, and then when she's older, she gives it to him, and he goes back in time and gives it to her. No we, one makes the watch. We talked about this on. We talked about something. One other time travel movie. There's a phrase for for items that exist um, independent of time. Hmm. What is it called now? I feel like they also sort of do that in the Star Trek reboot. When um, Leonard Nimoy gives uh, the equation to Scotty, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then the only reason no, mm, well, doesn't so I guess no. it's different because those are alternate timelines. Exactly, that's, so that's a multiverse. Like in 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 Spock Prime's universe, like that, somebody else came up with that equation, it, or it just happened to be much yeah. later than uh, when he gives it to Scotty. Yeah, I guess that's This movie sounds really fascinating. I mean, it's uh, based on a novel by Richard Matheson, uh, the late Richard Matheson. He just died a couple weeks ago. Um, who is much more known for his, like, horror sci-fi novels. Um, like, he wrote uh, I Am Legend, and he wrote um, a very famous episode of The Twilight Zone that has uh, William Shatner in it. Um and he's just, it's, it's, it does not, like, the story of this book slash uh, movie does not uh, jive with what uh, other Richard Matheson stuff I've read. So I'm very, I'd be very interested to see this movie. Well, you know, it, 
it is you, you never know how much they changed the movie to the book I didn't I never read the book I only saw the movie I feel like they probably made more of a focus on the romance maybe but I mean the, that's the whole point of it is sort of this like predestination thing I mean he wrote the screenplay too oh I didn't know that yeah interesting but it is an interesting film I saw it a while ago mm. a long time ago but I remember it being very a very beautiful film like to watch I uh watch the, the watch the, uh, from nowhere the time travel romance is a very interesting subgenre that I'm sure that we will talk about uh, yeah. in oh, a yeah. while that that segues it does it does segue do we want to do we want to jump into anything else you wanted to um I, I didn't have anything else Ryan what do you think um no I think that's it oh and so again the thing I, the term I was thinking of is bootstrap paradox hmm. when when which information or objects exist without having been created yeah, yeah. Well, it comes from a Highland short story yep by his yeah. bootstraps and yeah yeah interesting yeah we i forget well when we talked about this right but we definitely i remember you sending me this wikipedia page before uh, when would i have talked about I, it must have been in um back I to bet the future was back to the future how um johnny be good oh yeah the song, yeah, the yeah. Song exists that's the same thing i think you're um, right like it, it, it comes to occupy this weird space where it can only exist in the context. Like it, it moves from being something that was invented or created by somebody to being something that exists like out of time or you know, yeah, only in the context of the time loop. Yeah. Oh, another one would be not another bootstrap, but another time travel movie. You could consider Jumanji a time travel. Yes, movie. I said that before. <laughs> Jumanji that- is a great movie. Wait, was I talking to you when I said that? I don't think so. Maybe. Was it when I came over last weekend? Maybe. Because um, I was just thinking... Uh, about well, because it's so weird, because, like, Robin Will- Williams leads a whole life in that jungle, and Bonnie Hunt leads a whole normal, well, so- pseudo-normal life, and then they just go back to being 12 years old. Yeah, they are, like, the most mature 12-year-olds ever. Like, he has been through hell, and she has been, like, a very, very unsatisfied, like, depressed, like, 40-year-old by that point. Maybe not 40-year-old, maybe 30-year-old. Wasn't she also institutionalized? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. you're probably right. Yeah. It's kind of a time travel movie. Yeah. Man, I like this movie. I mean, there are so many movies that use time travel that you might not consider to be a time travel movie that I mean you came up with a list that focus on the time travel yes. yeah exactly like it's not it's not just like a random plot element it's like the point of the movie and I know you mentioned and then Kyle's brother I think also mentioned suggesting safety not guaranteed mm-hmm. for this which I have not seen and I have and I stand by the fact that it is not a time travel movie and has no business in our seg- well, segment. It, it's it, the subject matter and what they spend a lot of time talking about is time travel, but I probably also wouldn't. But they don't really talk about time travel, like not in the way that like Primer talked about the science or the repercussions no. of time travel. They, I mean, they 
Like, yeah, if we could travel through time, what would you do? But, I mean, there's no time travel in it, except for maybe the last five seconds. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, it's, it's clear that that is his work, though. That's what he's working on. It's a time travel that's, you know... To say it, it's not... But I think I think you could replace it with almost anything, and it's the same movie. Hmm. He could be rebuilding a car for whatever purpose to save his girlfriend. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen the film. I don't think I don't think you could change that. It's it has so much to do with him, like dwelling on the past and what. But I mean, you can change their lives. You can have you can have a goal that's that's based around the idea of dwelling on the past without having to do time travel at all. Yeah, but then it would be a different movie. I don't think it would. I do. Agree to disagree. Kyle, you'll have to see it. I'll, I'll see it and then I'll be the arbiter. <laughs> um oh, and I was oh, I was looking through a list of the hundreds hundred greatest moments in time travel. There is a lot more that I did not realize. Really? I'm sure. That included TV and movies. Mm. There were a couple quantum leaps in there. I'm sure there's plenty of quantum leaps. There was Urkel building a time machine on Family Matters. Uh, A lot of Star Trek. There's a Supernatural episode that involves a time loop that I always really enjoy. Never saw that show. It's okay. Um, You know who loves that show? Stuart? My brother Kevin loves no. the shit out of I was Supernatural. Gonna guess a brother, a brother. Yeah, I like Supernatural, um, especially the earlier seasons because it's a lot like uh, X Files Monster of the Week episodes, mm. where they have to fight a supernatural monster. There's also a, a time travel, a Buffy time travel episode. Uh, there, there's, there's an episode where Buffy gets caught. In a time loop caused by one of the three annoying people in the, one of the later seasons, but there isn't there isn't really. I think in Angel they go back in time. Maybe mm. I haven't really watched Angel, but Buffy. There's not a lot of like mm. like her going all the way back to like World War Two era or something like that. Well, yeah, yeah. It's more like you know the Galaxy Quest thing of going back to change one thing. Um. I don't know. I would say I had always had a problem with those kinds of things where like they introduced time travel into a world, a supernatural world that didn't previously have time travel and it just makes you wonder like why they didn't solve all their problems with time travel. Like Harry Potter. Mm. Like if the time turner exists, don't you think fucking Voldemort would have gotten his hands on that? Yeah, it is ridiculously uh overpowered for that world. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it she tries to say, you know, how regulated it is and I think the time turner only goes back like well, I guess you could spin it infinite number of times, but it 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 undoes so much of it it takes away the dramatic tension. Have done, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I'm glad she uses it sparingly. She really only uses it in 
the one book, but then to forget that it's potentially there, just literally solve all of their problems. She has a time turner. Why doesn't she go back and save Cedric Diggory from dying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> you, could do, you could do anything with a time turner. Yeah. Really. And in that world, it's the it seems like it's a, a, con, a you know, predestined timeline. She goes back and she can see herself. There are other versions of herself. It's also like so. not even particularly uh not even particularly uh, uh it doesn't seem to be a very valuable thing. Like it's valuable enough that they don't give it out to like every student, but it's not like locked away behind a mirror like the sorcerer's stone was or anything. Like they yeah. just give it to her so that she can attend all the classes that she needs to attend. Like it uh, if I yeah, if I were a child with it, yeah, exactly. Like it, it seems like every one of the professors should be walking around with one of those things in their pockets for if anybody gets hurt or injured or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's. I mean, with all things time travel, you can't think about it too much. Yeah. As we'll learn from watching the lake house, <laughs> you can't think about it too much. So, Cue uh, the Keanu. This, uh, this movie, when we've just kind of made fun of the lake house for a long time because it is uh, an easy Ridiculous. movie to make fun of. Like, is this an easy movie to make fun of? It's just, it, it is about a time-traveling mailbox. Like, that's exactly what it is. <sighs> You're not going to believe this. And You're going to think I'm crazy. It, I, when I was watching this movie, you know what was weird with this movie? I actually started out. I, I started out and I was like, this is going to be the worst thing ever. I put it on. And then I started watching it for a while. And then I got lulled into this feeling where I was like, you know what? I'm actually like kind of enjoying this movie. It's not that bad. Keanu's very likable. Sandra Bullock is doing pretty well. Like I'm interested in what's happening. And there was about 20 minutes there where I was like, holy shit, I'm going to like the lake house. <laughs> And this is going to be really embarrassing for me. But then the movie just got so boring. It just got so boring. Like, nothing happened. These people discovered that they have a time-traveling mailbox, and it doesn't even appear to have any impact. They're just like, whoa, that's fucking nuts. Uh, I guess I'll just keep on with my normal life. And also, constructing a movie where your two main protagonists who are supposed to be in love with each other never meet face-to-face is a horrible idea because it means that they just rely on these super long, overwrought voiceovers of themselves, like, reading their own letters back and forth. Um, And then it just gets really boring. And And then by the end, I had lost all interest in what was happening. They tried to solve that problem with those really weird, like, conversation scenes. Mm -hmm. That makes no sense. (laughs) No sense at all. They'd be answering each other's questions. Are they, like, sitting there and then they, like, write one sentence and then run back to the mailbox and shove it in there and close (laughs) the door and raise the flag and then wait for the reply to run back to their seat and, like, in, like, that hospital cafeteria and scrawl another sentence? I mean, I, I, I understand why the filmmaker did it, because just listening to them read letters is really boring, but it, it, it made it worse. It, it made no sense. Yeah, it's like, how can we have some kind of interaction between these two characters? Um, but it is a horrible idea, because it doesn't work at all. Um, it's interesting, because I am a, was a big fan, talking about like the time travel romantic comedy romantic drama um, it's a kind of a big subgenre of it is kind of a big movies. subgenre i i never saw the movie but i really really loved the uh time traveler's wife the book um 
I thought it was a really well done uh, version of this trope. Um, and I kind of feel like maybe I can't, I'm trying to remember what year that book came out because I feel like this movie is definitely trying to like capture that same uh, feeling, that same like fan base. Maybe oh the, oh, the book came out in 2003, so it definitely could have been an inspiration for the Lake House, which came out in 2006. Um, when did the movie adaptation come out? 2009. Oh, really? That late? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, quite a while after the book was published. Um, but it doesn't have anything that made that. Like it, the 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 nice thing about that is that you know he meets her at all these different points in her life. Like the guy, he's like stuck out of time. He time travels like kind of against his will. Um, and so, you know, instead of having two main characters who don't ever meet each other, you have these two main characters who kind of collide uh, off of each other in, uh, you know, really interesting ways. And we just don't get any of that here whatsoever. There's mm-hmm. just, you know, they fall in love by writing these super long letters to each other and, again, having these impossible conversations um, that can't happen. But also just the movie just takes, like, fucking forever. Like, it takes so long. And well, it, it doesn't. It doesn't not happen. They do interact. There, I, I think the the pivotal scene is when they do meet at the at her birthday party, and they don't really play that up enough. They mm-hmm. don't make that like sort of more of a dramatic turning point when it really should have been. Yeah, like but- they even show her like realizing that she met him, and it like wasn't a big deal. Yeah, no, no. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right, Madeline, that that really is the... It's the best scene in the movie, first of all. Like, it, um, they, because they actually get to, like, talk to one another. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have some real chemistry. The two actors have some real chemistry. and Because we know what's been going on, but they don't. It It's just very... It's well, just a very fascinating scene. Does. One of them does. Yeah. Um, I think it's the best scene in the whole movie. And then the whole... It just goes back to, like, you know, not being like that anymore. Like, just, oh my god, this movie is so boring, you guys. Yeah, I know. It's just the whole tone is just so. It takes itself so seriously. Mm-hmm. There's no levity. Like, I thought the br- they introduced the brother to be some sort of like comic relief, but he wasn't at all. No, he I wasn't like funny at all. All of the secondary characters and all of the subplots resulted in nothing. Like the father, like the whole yeah, father? the whole family issue. Christopher Plummer, like why? The like, father was really it. weird. I did I, I did really enjoy, I actually think she might be the best thing in this movie. I'm going to totally fuck up her name. Um, Shoray Agdashlu? Is that Mona? Yeah, she's the other doctor. She's like that. She's, oh, an, yeah. she's an Iranian woman. Um, I think she's the best thing about the movie. She Every, every scene that she's in, especially her and Sandra Bullock hanging out at the bar, I just really, I wanted to watch the whole movie of them just like chilling in this no, bar. It, it never, she never tell, tells her what's going on, does she? No, I don't think so. No, because like when they're talking to the bar, she makes this vague allusion to like a long distance relationship. Yeah, yeah. Because they show her as the doctor who treated Keanu's father, and I thought that would come out, but it never did. I feel bad for both of the secondary love interests that kind of get screwed. No one gets screwed. Like for some reason, Dylan Walsh, who plays. Sandra Bullock's like husband slash fiance, like he played a really creepy role on uh, Nip Tuck, and so I just associate him with creeps. 
Like, he's just a creepy actor to me. So I did not feel bad for him at all. I was always well, like, yeah, does, fuck that guy does over. come off a little, like, pushier yeah. than the girl who I feel really bad. I, yeah, I've the, the girl is, before. like, basically a non-character, but she just keeps popping up. I, and yeah. I, don't, I don't know why they even have her in the movie. I, yeah, me neither. Except to... No, there's... I, you never get the sense. I actually got the feeling that she was, like... Um, some kind of like uh you know she was infatuated with keanu reeves character but he was never like never reciprocated because that's how he acts to her for the entire movie yes but Except i don't then yeah. I don't see why that character needed to be there no i thought either. they were gonna pull the like romantic comedy Switch- thing Switch where, yeah where the two rejected mm. ones well, end up together as soon as um she tries to ask Keanu out on a date and then the dog runs away and he basically blows her off and runs away. She has this weird, like, super flirty moment with... Exactly, that's what I thought I'm like, were... what the hell is this business? Yeah. But then they don't, like, follow up on that at all. Um, and then she basically just disappears for whatever reason. She does. I mean, they... I feel like this movie may have been sort of... You know, they were trying to capitalize on the notebook and bringing, you know, Sandra and Keanu back together for the first time since Speed. I want to yeah, catch in a, Speed in a, Magic. In a movie that's nothing like Speed at all. And <laughs> they were like, oh, we've got this cool time travel premise and, like, didn't think through anything no. at all. I, so, uh, I don't, is, are things, like, like predestined? Like, are things, do things, like, change... Because something's, thought- something's changed, like, as soon as he did them, like, mm-hmm. in this, like, weird concurrent parallel. Yeah, like, like the tree. Like, Looper with, like, cutting someone yeah. in his Yeah, he plants that tree. The tree but- that he plants, I think, is the most egregious example, where it literally, like, appears above her, like, yeah. in the I rain. What is it? That freaking tree. <laughs> but at the same time, he has this memory of, like, kissing him at that party. Yeah. The only reason that he would have gone to that party is because they had been corresponding. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise he would not have known those people. If The only reason she goes back to the lake house and discovers the letter is because she had that traumatic experience of, like, the bus crash. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So who died of that bus crash? And then why didn't he show up on that date? And then so why? It's so so inconsistent that it it just... Uh, it seemed pretty consistent up until the tree part despite the mailbox flags the mailbox could have been the mailbox flags that mailbox flag scene where they're like staring at the mailbox watching the flag go up and down and they're like what's going on I don't believe like like it's been sitting there up or down for the last three years all of a sudden yeah furious I mean if that was the case wouldn't there be a stack of his letters sitting there (laughs) if I mean, they didn't. I mean, they didn't think about. They threw all time travel possibilities together into one mailbox. Yeah. They, they just used whatever thing was convenient at the time of writing that sentence. I think the most fucked up mo- mo- moment in the movie, and the thing that really cemented Dylan Walsh's character as a creep to me, is that the guy walks up to him on the street, basically out of nowhere, and he's like, "Here, have my house." 
and he hands the guy his keys and then the dog just like he just the dog just runs up and then the Dylan Walsh character just takes the dog he's like oh this I know is your you. dog oh no uh, he doesn't even, he doesn't try to chase after him he doesn't ask him where he's going he doesn't do anything he's just like okay sure I'll take your house and your dog <laughs> what the fuck if somebody walked up to me and tried to give me a a lake house and a dog that I only met one time and that one time that I met her like he'd been making out with my girlfriend and then he gives me oblique answers about what he thinks my girlfriend wants I would assume that he had murdered my girlfriend <laughs> and that the body was hidden in the lake house and I would call the police right away like that is the only reasonable assumption to draw from that scene I think but no the guy's like well, yes, I will. your girlfriend I will take also- your house the lake house more like the ugly house i thought it was kind of cool i liked it I feel like for a movie about architecture that was a really ugly house i think it's weird that they that they essentially decided to build their own like that was a set that was built for the movie and then torn down when they were done it's like if you're gonna i'm not surprised if you're gonna design something that like you're holding up as this architectural marvel like at least use something that like you know was designed by an actual architect or whatever (laughs) but i was also totally like either like yeah the, the lake house had like sat empty for like five years and i was like bullshit like I guess, well, I guess actually, now that I think about it, it, his dad is supposed to own it and just not live in it, huh? Yeah. Okay, because I was like, there's no way that in that part of Illinois, uh, you would not be able to rent a house on a lake like that. But why, wait, but then who, so did he buy it from his dad? No, because he bought it from... No, he bought it from somewhere else. He bought it from someone else. You're right. So his dad had to have sold it? Yeah. He didn't buy it from anyone. Yeah, he just moved in. I don't. I don't so remember. In the movie, he says, "I bought a house." Uh, hmm. And the okay, girl comes up and says, "I heard I'm the last in here that you bought a house." Right. You're right. No. You know he. I mean, he lived in it because they, him and his brother, definitely talked about like living there with their like, mother. Mm-hmm. So when their mother left, he must have sold it, and yeah, he was probably trying to reacquire it ever since. Or, you know, when he became an adult. Maybe. Maybe that's why he took that shitty job building those... Uh, McMansions? Yeah. Yeah. Solid as a rock. Solid as a rock. <laughs> um, yeah, but I thought the house was really ugly. I don't even want to try to parse the time travel in that movie because it made no sense. No, and, and I think the point was... and. You know, we've talked at, at various points about how it's best not to think too much about how the actual logistics of how the time travel works in a movie. Um, and I don't think it's actually... It, it it doesn't have to be realistic. Like, it really doesn't. It doesn't have to be realistic. It can be the most cockamamie-like idea that you... You know, it doesn't have to correspond to how things would work in the real world at all. But it has to be internally consistent. Yeah. It's like if they say something happens one way, it has to happen that way throughout the whole movie. It doesn't make any sense if you jump from being a movie about, like, predestination to a movie about, like, parallel universes. People are going to be like, but wait, I thought he was destined to do that, but then what about this other universe? Now they both exist? What's going on? Like... This movie I mean, can't that's decide exactly what happened. Exactly, movie. this yep. movie like can't decide like what kind of time travel movie it wants to be. Yeah. If I were to remake the Lake House, I would have let him die. <laughs> it would have been a much better movie if she fa- like if that was the denouement, her finding out that he had died. 
Yeah. Like, and the emotional core of the movie would have been their one actual meeting. But, you know, the fact that she writes this letter and I don't even know when he gets the letter. Right. Yeah. When does he even get that letter? I don't that, know. that ultimately ends up saving his life because he should be. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know. the uh, I like this is based on on a Korean movie called uh, Il Mare. Um, you know, uh, this the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't seen it, but I do. I I, I read the synopsis online, and I do think um, it does have a what I think would be a better ending in that at the end, instead of, instead of him coming essentially to 2008 when Sandra Bullock is crying at the mailbox, thinking that he's dead, he comes at 2006 when she first goes back to the house. Mm. So like right before she writes that first letter. Interesting. So like he knows, but she doesn't. Yeah. So it's like, uh, oh, that makes a lot more sense. I think that would be a a better ending. I don't know um, how it would really play out, but um, I think I think with any sort of time travel movie, I, I don't know if I should be speaking in such absolutes, but the sense of uh, loss and sacrifice resonates much better than. Happiness and yeah, happy yeah. endings. I I think that it was also a very interesting decision to make it a time travel movie, but then set the characters so close to each other in time. Um, and at first I thought I liked it and it worked, and then I eventually I ended up not liking it and don't think it worked. Like if this had been a correspondence by letter between two people, um, you know, in like 1920 and 2006, it's entirely possible based on what we hear of their letters that they wouldn't really, you know, have been able to tell besides the date, you know, like they don't talk about like cell phones and shit like that. Like they could go on their walking tours together or, you know, describe what it looks like in my time or something like that. I said that when we were watching this. And then, this like, movie pretends that the internet does not exist. Right. Yeah, it really does. Especially since like, these guys like... just look up info on the other person. Or yeah. fucking Facebook them. <laughs> I mean, that, that would be creepy. Yeah. If Keanu's just Facebooking her from uh, Sorry, the Sorry, you're going to have to beat me, bleep me out. <laughs> no, well, we've, uh, we've kind of stopped with the bleeping. Get, we, I think you just got lazy, didn't you? I, did, I got really lazy. I got it's tired of having to look around for him. And I think part of the thing is, though, that this is based on a movie that came out in 2000. Mm-hmm. So it's 1998 and 2000, mm-hmm. and the internet wasn't really super big then, and even cell phones weren't super big then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's more believable for them, but yeah. <laughs> is it believable ever, really? Yeah. The whole, I mean, the time adding time travel, like romantic time travel, is it just it, the star-crossed lovers sort of trope? Having it work out in the end kind of ruins it. Kind of ruins it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, like but totally Kate robs it of its does power. The same thing, doesn't it? Kate Leopold does. And then the time traveler's wife doesn't really. As far as I know, definitely. Well, I mean, they no, actually they get together at some point, but then there's other right. complications. The time, tra- actually, the time traveler's wife is 
weirdly. I mean, they get married. Yeah, yeah, reminiscent yeah. of. But then uh, they have all kinds of other problems too, like with the genetics and whether or not their kid is yeah. going to time travel and his his, uh, you know, time traveling continues to cause problems for their relationship and stuff like yes. that. Yes. And I, well, I was talking earlier about somewhere in time, but when you add time travel to like a star cross lover's tale, it is what it should be about is the time that they actually do have together. And it, I mean, this movie. There's none of that. The the, the scene that they're together, that you know, the couple scenes, they don't. They don't really make it important enough. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even think they really. I'm. It could be because of the writing or the direction or whatever, but the actors don't even, like, Keanu really, he knew how important it was that he was finally meeting this woman. Yeah. And just nothing. <laughs> the classic Keanu. Yeah. I'm sorry, I just, I, I just remembered he describes Sandra Bullock as having long brown hair and unguarded eyes, and she's like, okay, fine, I understand that you saw me. <laughs> who just first of all who describes them with unguarded eyes and then who would hear that and be like oh, oh yes, no, that yeah, is definitely you're me. talking about me I understand I, I, okay okay whoa there you can stop yeah I mean it's the whole movie is just written like a uh, you know like a Shitty, like comedy. a like a shitty paperback novel, like romance novel, but then you uh, have yeah. to actually have people like read it out loud, which yeah, is but a disaster. Also minus all the sex. Yeah, yeah. With that, which is another weird thing. Like this movie has no sex in it. Like their love is entirely chaste. It is not physical at all. Like they have one kiss, which I actually at the end too. Well, true. Two kisses. Two, Two kisses. kisses. But I thought this movie would have been uh, much improved by adding some element of sexuality into it somewhere. Where it's like, you know, they meet, they, they decide to meet and they make a reservation for dinner. Like, no, you guys should go to a hotel. Like, you've been waiting a long time. Keanu, right. Well, yeah. yeah. He yeah. essentially waits four years for And he's woman. been passing up this other woman who, like, is apparently really obsessed with him. And she, and Sandra's not waiting? Yeah. No. Yeah, no, no, no. Although, you know, I'm guessing, I'm guessing sex with uh, Mr. Nip Tuck is not all that, oh, yeah. all that exciting, just based but on I his mean, character in this movie. But she's still getting the D. Yeah. Also, when she has that letter under her floorboards, do you think he's... The book? The book. The book under the floorboards. Mm -hmm. Do you think he snuck in to the building while it was being built and put it in there? He must have. I was pretty drunk by this point and (laughs) not paying a ton of attention. (laughs) And you are the better for it. And why was there no abuse of that time travel mailbox? Seriously. <laughs> like, send back some, like, sports scores so they can bet it's, on them or something. Who won the Super Bowl next year? Yeah, like, do something. You could, yeah. get, your, you could get so rich. Yeah. Kyle, can you please use the sound effect of him saying, You're gonna think I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Because that was the only funny part of the movie, and it's only because Keanu says it in his dumb Keanu voice. Mm-hmm. And I remember them using that in the trailer. <laughs> his dumb Keanu voice. 
he's such this a, is his voice. He's such a goober of an actor. Like he's such a nice dude. It seems like like he just seems like such a nice dude. But at the same time, he just like I don't know. Like, does he know how he sounds? You think when he says these things? Uh, I feel like he must. I don't know. Like, what is he thinking when he's acting? He's like, you know, he says that, and you're never gonna believe me. Is so he thinking like, yeah, this is great. I'm being a really effective actor right now. Or is he like... Just like, well, this is all I can do, so yeah, you're going to exactly. have to deal with it. <laughs> because, I mean, it works so well in Bill and Ted, mm-hmm. where he plays like a basically like a dumb stoner high school kid. I mean, it works well in, in all of his. the movie that made him a star. It works well it in all of well his. Uh, Matrix. Yeah, all of the movies where he is like really uh, famous for, it works pretty well. Um, yeah. Although his filmography the last couple of years, like... Sucks. He has not made a good movie except mm, a scanner darkly. I would say since uh, that's like two thousand four. Yeah, it? but even other than that, I don't think he's made a good movie since uh, the replacements in two thousand. And though I love that movie, <laughs> some would argue that it is not great. <laughs> it's not a great film. But since then, you know, he's it's it, a fun film. He does have a scanner darkly on there, and he has Constantine, which is okay, and the Matrix well, sequels, which I would also say are okay. This is also sort of the last time they tried to make him like a romantic lead, mm-hmm. uh, and it didn't work. <laughs> mm, yeah, like he just doesn't do romance very well. He, he doesn't no. have enough expression. Like he doesn't have enough emotion. No, that's why he works for something's got to give. Because you don't want him to get with What's-Her-Face. I've never seen that movie. Me neither. Oh, that's sad. Why am I the only person that's seen Something's Gotta Give? <laughs> I don't know. That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so do we have anything else on The Lake House? It's a, it's a pretty uh, pretty abysmal movie. Two thumbs down. Two thumbs down. It's Would a, not watch again. Not watch again. It, it's, it, it, sadly, it's not even really entertainingly bad. It's just mm, bad, bad. I know. Yeah. Entertainingly bad is my favorite movie. Yeah. So, Ryan, we, have, we haven't decided what we're doing for our next series, have we? Not yet. So, dear listeners, you're invited to give us suggestions. Yeah, we've, we've tossed around a couple ideas, like another subgenre, like time travel movies, or like maybe picking a director or an actor and going through... You know, a bunch of movies by that actor or or, or those uh, directors. So we 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 can really take it in pretty much any uh, any direction we want to after this. Um, but the same kind of general guidelines apply. We want something where we can choose like five to seven examples with it and talk about them. Yeah, and leave so you some room to recommend things to us. Yeah, as I- always. I like And the- aren't you glad you recommended the lake house? Oh wait, I, I think I was the one who recommended it. <laughs> I think you were too. <laughs> you were hoist by your own petard there because you recommended the lake house and then you wanted to come on for an episode and the only one left was the lake house. I know. I really wanted to talk about Time Cop, but then I was like, you know, I will fall on my own sword. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think that six or seven uh worked better than or eight did we end up talking about eight? We did eight. Well, we did nine if you count the double feature of Planet mm. of the Apes, Planet of the Apes. I think it, I think eight episodes. I think it worked better than the thirteen plus one episodes of uh, Firefly, and then the twelve or thirteen 
Pixar films we talked about. Like, I feel yeah, like we we basically got a talked about long in the tooth. Exactly, we we talked about those for a long friggin' time. It's like nine months of talking about an episode of a uh, Firefly per per episode. So I think this I think the six to eight range worked a lot better. We started. Yeah, this, I think your your listeners really appreciate when you stop talking about Firefly. I think one listener and in particular <laughs> who hates Firefly for reasons that I don't understand really appreciate it when we stop talking about Firefly. The worst one, the only one that actually caused a problem was that uh, one year my mom signed me up for football and she put that I was born in 1986 instead of 1987. And so I was like bumped up to the bigger kid, like football league. So it was like instead of being the oldest kid in my league, I was the youngest kid in my league. And it was like a, uh, it was like a, a time, like an eighth grade. It was a time when, like, that year made a huge difference in terms of the size and muscular, like, strength of everyone around me. So it's just like, man, I suck at football. I'm getting tackled, like, so hard. Like, why are all these kids, where are all my friends? I'm somehow put on a team with no friends. And then, like, eventually they discovered and they're like, oh, you got to get sent down to the other level. And I was like, oh. (laughs) Little Kyle saying, where are all my friends? This is so sad. 